welcome to the latest edition of At The Flicks, your one-stop shop for movie news, interviews and reviews. Hello and welcome to Darren's Dash, all quality and no filler. I, for one, am looking forward to this. Today's Dash includes Pig, The Trip and Gunpowder Milkshake. To discuss these films with Darren and me, Jeff, Graham and Phil. Now, without any further ado, it's over to Darren. What's up first, Darren? Well, first up is The Pig, which I rented on Amazon Prime recently and is the first time directed effort of Michael Sanowski. And it stars the often unpredictable Nicolas Cage. Now, in this film, Nicolas Cage is a reclusive forest dweller who makes a living by gathering rare truffles to sell to suppliers of luxury ingredients which find their way into fancy restaurants. Cage finds these truffles thanks to his only companion, which is his pet pig, which he has a a very strong kinship with. One night, he's attacked in his cabin, and when he awakes, he finds that his one true friend has been stolen. And so he reluctantly returns to the big city that he left behind all those years ago and works his way through the seedy underworld in a quest to rescue his pig. I've got to say that when I first heard about this movie, I totally had the wrong idea what sort of film we're going to be getting. We've got a stolen pig. We've got Nicolas Cage, who is traveling to the city to get his animal back from bad guys. I thought that this was going to be a wild action movie with Cage going on a bloody rampage, dispatching bad guys left and right and center, yelling, where's my pig? It was absolutely nothing of the sort. In fact, I would say it's one of the biggest surprising films this year. It was actually a very thoughtful, moving character piece of a man's journey and a quest not looking for revenge, but simply looking to get back the one thing in his life that he actually gave him any meaning. And through this journey and the twist along the way, you find out all about Cage's character and what led him to actually flee the city and take up this hermit-like existence. And I've got to say, this is one of the best characters that Cage has played in years. It's an absolutely incredibly subtle and really haunting performance of this really intelligent and sage-like person that we follow. And you can't help but get drawn into his story. There are themes of loss in here which don't just happen with Cage, but with even like the main villain in play by Adam Arkin. You see the grief that has led him to his course of action to take this pig from Nicolas Cage. Again, it sounds like a really bizarre premise. And the fact that it's Nicolas Cage in this film, who, let's face it, his film output in the last um, 10, 20 years has been very up and down shall we say, from sort of serious to, you know, really weird, low-budget movies. This one is a really thoughtful, well-written movie. In in some respects, it reminded me, for a few reasons, of Fight Club. Not because of the violence, even though, ironically, the one really violent scene in this film actually takes place in an underground fight club. 
But it's in its commentary on modern life and the shallowness of it and the search for meaning and people who actually find reasons to live. There's several scenes in there where Nicolas Cage, as well as trying to find his pig, is trying to help other people along the way. And he's actually trying to like, you know, some meaning in, in their own existence. There's one scene that takes place in a restaurant, which really felt like an alternative take on a very similar scene from Fight Club itself. I thought this film was absolutely wonderful and refreshing and a real surprise and it was a film that had this really engaging tone throughout it Nicolas Cage really it it proved in this film that he's an enigma that he's got one of the weirdest careers in Hollywood but this was frankly one of his best highlights in a film for ages I absolutely thought it was splendid a really great surprise I haven't seen this one, but from the sound of it, Nicolas Cage really brings home the bacon. Oh. <laughs> Graham, I believe you've seen it. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And just like Darren said, I had completely the wrong idea about this. I thought it was going to be very much like uh, that last film we saw him in, Wally's Wonderland, where he just went on a killing spree. But no, this is... It's an indie film. It, it, it's it got all these strange things happening to him and he goes to all, on all these strange journeys. And I, and I must admit, I really enjoyed the, the little scene he had with uh, a former employee of his who wanted to open a pub and ended up being a chef in a restaurant and, and getting him to reflect on his own life and, and reduces the man to tears. It was just wonderful. And the other thing I, I liked about this is Cage's physical acting in this film he is a big bloke so everywhere he sits he sort of drops into chairs or he drops onto the bed and you can feel this guy has just got something about him it's it's not only he's weary of life but he just seems to be really physically present in every scene and he's covered in blood most of the time he doesn't give a damn and it's just a great little film great fun Phil, you've seen it, I take it. It's one of the year's best films, simply put. It's about acceptance. It's really emotional. It is, you know, it's just really good. The only thing that the guys haven't mentioned that I'll mention is that there is a just fantastic cover of a Bruce Springsteen song at the end of the film. At the film. end, oh yes. Um, Which song? And, well, you know, Springsteen, he's not as good as Radiohead, obviously, but he is up there. And um, it's, it is, you know, I mean, I'm being flippant, but the the lyrics of the song absolutely perfectly capture the feeling and the mood and this whole thing about his character needs to kind of come to an acceptance about something that's happened. And it just really just finishes on this really poignant moment. Cage is fantastic. I would love to see him get a nomination for an Oscar because, you know, Darren mentioned he's done lots and lots of stuff. Um, he is a good actor and he's obviously making ends meet and what have you, but occasionally there's a bit of magic and this is one of them. He has been nominated for an Oscar in the past. He was nominated for... Oh, he's, 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 he's won, hasn't he? He's won, he's won for Leaving Las Vegas. But... And won for Leaving Las Vegas. Thank you for talking about yeah. that. But I just think that he's kind of, you know, his output at the moment, I think he'd get overlooked because it's all about appearances, isn't it? And I'd, I'd be but surprised. A man in his yeah, I'd be, ha- I'd be happily surprised if they recognise that Cage is back okay. to his best in this. Well, I'm intrigued enough to watch this now. It's um, got one of the best jump scares you'll ever get. 
in a film because mm, when yeah. I've seen when, the haunting, Graham, you can't get better than that. <laughs> no, I think it's it's just not what you expect. He hears people outside his little shack, and then they break in, and it's quite an incredible scene. Did Pat yeah. watch it with you? Yeah, she did. She loved it. She okay. didn't like that bit. She loved the whole thing. And she thought, you know, he's just this very lonely man living in the forest because that's the only way he can come to terms with the the great loss in his life. So, Darren, you've started with a film this month that Phil has called one of the year's best. Uh, where can you go from <laughs> such high praise indeed? What's next? So the next film is Gunpowder Milkshake, which is a film which was on Netflix in the US, but over here ended up on um, Sky Cinema. It has to be said that the reviews on this have been fairly mixed. It's an action movie that sees Karen Gillan, who, when as a child, had um, two assassins for parents. And after a job gone wrong, her mother, Lena Headley, had to go on the run and leave her in the hands of her employer. The grown-up Gillen is now an assassin herself, and she gets into trouble when A, on one of her hits, she kills the son of a powerful gangster, and B, she ends up looking after the daughter of one of her targets, which raises the ire of her own employees. On the run from all sides, she finds unexpected allies in three women who run an arms depot disguised as a library, and the unexpected return of her mother. The results, not surprisingly, is lots of carnage, lots of bullets and lots of slow motion and neon lighting. If you're a regular to my dashes, you will know that. And if you are, then God bless you and thank you. You'll know that I have a very simple pleasure when it comes to cheapish, wild action movies, especially when the leads are women. So this film, I have to say, was always going to be right up my street. And... I absolutely love this film. It wasn't trying to remake the wheel. It wasn't a groundbreaking departure from its B-movie rules. But what it was, was frankly just a lot, a lot of fun. It had a very colourful, very neon glow to it. And the thing I liked about it was, it really did feel like a live-action comic strip film. It was loads of fun. The action was wild and explosive, as you expect. There was also lots of comedy in there. There was one scene where uh, Karen Gillan is drugged and she finds that she can't use her arms. So she has to fight off the henchmen with her guns taped to her hands. There was a great fight in the library, which is, like I say, which is a front for the, the, the gun depot. Uh, run by three women who are former assassins and they hide all the guns in the novels waiting for them to be bought. The three women, by the way, are Angelina Bassett, Carla Gugino and Michelle Yoy, who always makes action films better whenever she's in one. Karen Gillan's really good in this. I did find it a little off-putting that her voice in this is exactly the same one that she uses as Nebula in Guardians of the Galaxy, so I couldn't quite get that, that out of my head at times. But one of the really great performances in this film comes from Lena Headley, who I thought was absolutely great. And I really wish there'd have been more scenes between these two as the mother yeah. and a strange daughter, because I think there was a lot of potential there and getting to know them both and getting to know what made them tick. And I, I don't think that the film really sort of went on the emotional 
uh, aspects of what the plot, you know, created. There was lots of world building in, in this uh, world of assassins, which I, I think I, I could see them developing into films further uh, along the way. What, one of the things that I have a gripe about is I think there was a little too many plots going on at times. You pretty much had two separate threads going on there in this film with her being on the wrong from the gangsters whose um, son that she had killed and also uh, having to deal with the, the little girl of the, the man who she'd actually uh, assassinated herself. I think there was a lot of potential in there that just was either brushed over or really didn't go into. But the, the thing that really was important about this film was the fight scenes and they all delivered there, there was sort of like a real sort of grit to them it was just a, a really really fun movie like i say it wasn't trying to be anything massively new or original you could see all the influences on this film there were bits of john wick in there could see that there were maybe bits of scott pilgrim um i, I thought there was a, a quite a lot of um kick-ass in this film as well, we actually the film, not the, the term kick-ass. It was a lot of fun, had some like really cool characters in there. And yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I, I just I just feel that they, they could have done a lot more with the uh, the emotional stories that they had in had, had on offer. But there was a lot of fun in there. Yeah, now this is the one of the Dash films that I've actually seen this month. And, you know, I would say this is like John Wick for grown-ups. It takes the scenario of a world uh, that John Wick inhabits, sets it mainly with female assassins on this, just has a lot of fun with it. You know, flip-top phones, buildings where only criminals can go. You know, you've seen that before. But it, it's much better done, so much better directed than some of the more recent John Wick rubbish. Apart from a great female cast, you've got also Ralph Ennison in this, who makes up for his ridiculously bad turn in um, The Green Knight, which we spoke about in another show. All in all, I thought this was tremendous, and a big shout-out for Frank Ilfman's music score, which I thought, again, helped set that other world that they were trying to create. It's a shame we couldn't get to cinemas, but I think it's another winner from Sky Cinema. Phil, what do you think? It's rubbish. <laughs> Honestly, I, I, is, I... Is it because it's just got female protagonists? Is this misogynistic? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. It's one of those things, isn't it, with, with like, yeah, everyone's got different opinions and that's what makes the world great. And I feel bad because you both seem to really enjoy it, but I thought it was terrible. Karen Gillan has actually got really good action credentials, She's Nebula, obviously it's been mentioned. She's in the Jumanji reboots. But I thought all the action scenes were clunky, not remotely interesting. I thought that Carly Gugino, Michelle Yeoh and Angela Bassett were all criminally underused. It's just a film that references lots of other films. And that's not a bad thing. Lots of films reference other films. It's just that I found it completely uninspiring and and dull and, and just... If it's an action film and I don't find the action sequences interesting, then it's not off to a good start. There isn't anything about it that I enjoyed, really. So, sorry. <laughs> oh, dear. Hey, those days when we used to go to the cinema to watch movies that were fun. Oh, dear me. Do you mention the John Wick films? This film references, you've already mentioned something, it references Kill Bill, good. Face Off, good. Leon, good. John Wick, good. Big Lebowski references even in there. Got that one. Great. And all of those are fun films. Go and watch any of those. I mean, and you know, Sky Cinema, unfortunately, aren't off to another success story, in my humble opinion. 
<laughs> well, we did another show earlier where Graham used loads of big words like Boris Johnson does um, <laughs> to, to hide. But, you know, this is a, a kaleidoscope of fun, a, a souffle of <laughs> action for the mind. <laughs> Graham, over to you. Substance, is that what you're saying? That's a bit of a stretch, Jeff. Bloody hell, big compared to Boris Johnson. Jesus, why don't you just shit on my head? (laughs) (laughs) I've seen it, have you, Graham? Yeah, I loved it. I thought it was great fun. It's sort of set in an alternative universe or some strange place, which is very bright and colourful. And I just thought everybody in it was just cracking. And it's... You know, you don't need your whole brain to watch this. It's fun. It's enjoyable. Just go with it. It's a wonderful Friday night movie. Okay. Oh, well, it's not on video. I'm not on video, am I? I'm shaking my head, listeners. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you are on video. I can see you. <laughs> well, there we go then. Three fun reviews, one killjoy. Um, <laughs> nice one, Darren. What we got next then? Okay, so next up is The Trip which is a Norwegian movie on Netflix, which is a dark comedy where a movie director is taking his failed actress wife to a remote cabin with the obvious intention of murdering her and making it look like an accident. The thing is, uh, it turns out... interesting. The thing is, she turns the table on him and she intends to do the same to him and collect the insurance that she's put on I've lost interest now. Things... Things get even more out of hand with the revelation that three escaped violent convicts have been hiding in the cabin and are aware of everything that has been going on between the couple. And they decide to make a play for the uh, couple's money themselves. I've got to say, one of the, the things that I really like about Netflix is that it really gives a home to uh, many entertaining, often dark, foreign movies which I've got to say would struggle to be seen outside of um, art house theatres anywhere else. In fact, I've, if you look at my dash for the year, I've, uh, I've, I've made a thing of reviewing quite a lot of them. And this movie is absolutely just one big dark premise. And it doesn't shy away from the fact that its leads are all really bad people all doing really bad things to each other. And there is an absolutely wonderful, real, what I would call an anti-chemistry between the married couple because they are so good at bickering and arguing with each other right from the very beginning that you find it absolutely totally conceivable that these two would actually want to kill each other. And it's really great as well in the fact that the situation only escalates when the uh, when the three criminals uh, come along and get involved themselves. What amazed me about this film is that the tone shifted constantly, but in a good way. Because one point you were watching a film which seemed really down to earth, really dark and unpleasant about a guy planning to kill his wife. And then when that went sort of went awry, it became full of jokes and comedy and situation uh, comedy and then it would take a turn again to being really tense and disturbing when the three criminals arrive and then it it would lure you into thinking it had gone back to being like really really fun and light-hearted again only for it to get totally totally gory and go completely the opposite way it was 
constantly playing around with you as an audience, which I absolutely loved. And like I say, the, you know, the film's title says it all when it says it is a trip. This film is an absolute trip. You know, sometimes it's sort of really funny, and then other times it gets decidedly dark and unpleasant. The three villains in this are all really, really frighteningly sadistic, and it makes you root for the couple who... Even though you actually are rooting for him, their relationship never really gets sentimentalised, despite the situation that they're in. Even when they're having to work together, there's still like this sort of antagonism between them both. I absolutely thought this film was a was a blast. It was, I wouldn't say a guilty pleasure, but it's a film that you sort of get a really perverse enjoyment out of because it is such a dark movie. There are scenes of comedy which you know you shouldn't be laughing at, but you do because it's just done so well. I've got to say as well, I think this is a film that you could see Hollywood taking and remaking and totally knackering it up because they wouldn't be able to stay the course and commit to its dark tone, but they'd have to make it sort of, like I say, sentimentalise it, turn it on its head, you know, give it more of a sort of moral fibre to it. This film is... I absolutely loved it. Was a again, it's a real surprise, and it's one of the really good things that I think Netflix does really well in finding these little movies. Anybody else seen it? No, no. So, based on what Darren has said, would you guys watch it? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, it's already on my billions of films to watch on Netflix list. <laughs> oh, you've won a couple of converts over there, Darren. What's next? The next film is The Toll which is a film that I rented on uh, Amazon Prime. Um, this is a, a UK movie directed by Andrew Hooper. And this is a film set in Wales and at a toll booth in the middle of nowhere. I like it already. Where, uh, yep. <laughs> where a quiet man played by uh, the always dependable Michael Smiley has his solitude disturbed one day afternoon when he's robbed by three masked anarchists. This leads as well later on to a chance encounter with a flashy gangster who recognises the Tollbooth worker and reveals that this uh, guy is not who we think he is, but he actually has a very violent and shady past. So the Toll has been described as, rather bizarrely, as a Welsh Western. And I've got to say, it really does work because it has all the hallmarks of of an actual Western. It's set in a really remote village with a very small law enforcement presence with one policewoman acting as the sheriff. And you have a whole bunch of local criminals. And you also have the invasion of outside bandits who descend on the town uh, looking to track down the toll booth to make him pay for his uh, past sins. The toll booth worker, incidentally, we never learn his name. So it even feels more Western because you've got the man with no name trope. And just want to say as well that Michael Smiley is absolutely perfect in this role as this quiet but mysterious man and with this really seething undercurrent of potential violence. I, again, really, really enjoyed this movie. I did find that there was a little touch of, of League of Gentlemen vibe to this film, not quite as over the top or cartoonish and that, but because there was these tons of weird and colourful characters which made up this really strange and bizarre underworld. And there was uh, lots of coincidences, uh, crossing overs of story threads. Uh, there was even a little bit of time jumping back and forth in the narrative. 
I thought this was a really, really great little cheap independent movie. It was done on a low budget, which in itself actually helped with the uh, the weird spaghetti western vibe of this movie, uh, even though it was actually set in Wales. I, I thought this was splendid. It, it it was a real you know a real surprise little movie. Um, it's very cheap on Amazon Prime as well. I think it's only like one ninety nine to rent. And it's a fairly short film as well. I think it's about 18 minutes. But if you want to find a movie where you see lots of potential of the people involved in this, where they could go from here if you support this movie, I think this is one to really have a go of. And because it's British, there are lots of cameos in this movie as well. The guy who's, and I forgot his name, but the guy who plays um, Dennis Penis uh, has a role in this movie. Lots of little sort of like the usual suspects that you oh, see wow. in these sort of films. But yeah, this is one that could fly under the radar. It's one that I found completely by chance um, scrolling through Amazon Prime. And uh, yeah, this is a really fun little movie. Well, and you've sold me on it. And, you know, there, there's always been an affinity between um, the Welsh and Westerns for whatever reason. Mm. But it does seem to, and, and Graham, I know sort of from Ireland as well, they've got that same sort of affinity. Uh, so I am definitely intrigued. Anybody else seen it? No, no, no. And it's on, it's on my list. Uh, Phil, would you watch it? I don't. I'm not sold by this one because I know, like, this is going to sound criminal, but I'm not totally sold by Michael Smiley generally. <laughs> so sorry. Okay, no, no, that's fine. No, no, but uh, yeah, it certainly does it for me. Okay, so I think we've got one more left to go. What we got, Darren? Okay, so the final movie, and again, this is one that I rented on Amazon Prime, quite cheap as well. I think it was about three fifty or something. This is uh, Riders of Justice. hasn't been out for that long. It did get a very short cinema release in the UK uh, about a month or so ago, and this is best described as being a Danish revenge movie. It's a movie that sees a soldier, always played by Mads Mikkelsen, always, always great in whatever he does. And he's basically a soldier serving in Afghanistan. And his daughter and wife get caught up in a train crash where the uh, the mother is killed and the daughter injured. And uh, Marcus uh, has to return home to look after his daughter and finds that single fatherhood is a real strain. He finds it really tough to uh, relate to his daughter. His daughter's obviously going through uh, issues from a train crash and, and losing the, the mom. To top it all off, uh, one day, uh, another of the passengers uh, who was on the train, a quirky statistician uh, who survived the train, approaches him to share his theory that the train crash was actually no accident. And his belief of this is that the, uh, there was another passenger who was the uh, a witness in a court case against a uh, violent biker gang. His theory is that the statistical probability of a witness being killed in a train crash is so remote that it must be an assassination. So Marcus ends up teaming with the statistician and two of his uh, equally eccentric friends to investigate the biker gang which ultimately leads to a, a long quest of bloody retribution. So anyway, we started with a weird film that I expected to be an all-out revenge movie uh, and to another one where I expected would be Mads Mikkelsen going on a rampage against a gang of uh, bikers. And that is actually what I got. 
you know, Mads Mikkelsen does go after these guys. He takes them out in really violent and brutal fashion. But the thing about it is, it's not done in the B-movie way that the film's title, and if you see the poster, would have you believe. Early on, this film is a drama of Mad Mikkelsen having a tough time being dad to his daughter and them not being able to communicate and being able to help each other through their grief. Then you have the appearance of these three statisticians. They bring it to a film this very odd, almost weirdly out-of-place slapstick element. For example, they have to pretend that they're grief counsellors to explain why they're spending so much time at uh, Mad Mikkelsen's house. And so you've got all these like really quirky scenes. You've got this really funny scene where Mads Mikkelsen is teaching them how to uh, assemble a rifle and you know, and one of them makes a complete hash of it and adds the gun sight back to front. There's always like really weird Three Stooges type element to it. And then you've got this backdrop of this ragtag team's war with this Mathelite bike again, which gets really, really action-packed, but also really, really violent and gory as well, but also quite weirdly satisfying. The thing about this film is you hear this term that um, a film is tonally all over the place, and all these elements shouldn't really work. It should be a complete mess of a movie. But they not. They, they they fit together perfectly. And I think it's because Mads Mikkelsen in this film is playing straight man to everybody else. So where you've got this like comedy element going on, you've got Mads Mikkelsen playing the straight guy to him. Where you've got the violent, obviously Mads Mikkelsen is basically in his element there. It's a really, really weird set out film. But it works. One minute you're, you're laughing at this film and enjoying the uh, the banter, the next minute you're enjoying a really, really violent action scene and seeing the, ga- the, uh, the gangsters game their just desserts. And it's great. It's also a film that you can spend a lot of time thinking about afterwards of what the film's, what theme it actually is. And the thing that I got to it is that it's a very anti-logic, anti-narrative film. Because there's a, there's a whole running storyline about this film, about the chain of events that drive what happens. So, for example, the reason why the mum and daughter are on this train in the first place is because there's a bicycle theft at the start of the film, which leads one thing to another, which leads to the mother and daughter being on this train. And also the fact that the statistician who survived the train crash, he gave up his seat for the uh, the mother on the train, which obviously she is then killed because just if, if he hadn't have done that, he would have been killed and the mum and daughter, both of them, would have survived. But as it is, this, type, this uh, little kind gesture ultimately kills her. And there's also a, um, you know, the, the daughter in trying to deal with her grief. She sets up this um, big sort of collage of post-it notes trying to sort of find reason as to what happened by tracing back all the events. And the statistician actually sort of tells her this is a, a fruitless exercise because each event that happens stops other events from happening and all of those events would have had minor sort of repercussions that you can't actually sort of find sort of a, a narrative in there. And it's really weird because that clear little scene that does actually forebodes the main twist that comes in this story. It's a really clever film for, for so many reasons. I thought this was, was marvellous. It, it works as comedy. It works as a, a satisfying, violent revenge thriller. It even works as a study of grief and trying to make sense of, uh, of tragedy. And all these elements bonded together 
into into a film that should have been a giant mess but isn't and actually has a sort of something to say about cause and effect right from the very start of the film from the opening scene right to the end of the movie and i I just thought this was a a really cleverly written film but also one of the oddest movies that should not have worked and yet does okay I know you haven't seen it, Graham, have you? No, no, it's definitely yeah. going on my list. I mean, you're you're right. I just had a look at the the poster for it. Yeah, you, you absolutely. It looks like a, a standard action movie. You know, Mads it, it, Mikkelsen there with a with a rifle and a gun, and and looks like he's he's really badass. But it's got all these comedy elements as well. Okay, Phil, have you seen it? Yeah, it's a brilliant film, and actually, it's really interesting because I think it's brilliant and have completely different interpretation to what Darren said. And I think it's about some other things as well. So, so for me, so it's actually, first of all, Darren said about pig and thinking that it was going to be like taken or whatever. And I thought that's exactly what this film was going to be. And actually it's not that it's kind of, it's just so much more infinitely fascinating because the way I saw it was that the statistician is essentially saying that if you had the relevant amount of data to feed into a computer that was powerful enough that that algorithm that he created that he talks about at the beginning of the film would be able to give us the relevant inferences that would allow us to see causally what's going to happen. And that's obviously impossible. And they talk about how that's impossible because it's too much data and it's uh, not computable. But it talks about how the trauma that we suffer and the grief and the issues that we suffer in our lives are because our brains are not capable of processing and making those inferences. So we consider events to be coincidence rather than as a direct correlation of the data of things that are happening around us. And in that way, I saw it as actually saying that it's essentially a film that's like, it's this action film and a comedy film as well, because it's really funny. It's an action film and a comedy film that's actually telling us that what we shouldn't be doing is looking at an antiquated mechanism in dealing with our ability to deal with coincidence, which is believing in gods. And we should be looking at a modern replacement of that, which is therapy that actually allows us to process those things that happened in our lives that result in us behaving in those ways. That's how I took it. And I think what's fascinating about that is Darren you know, took it a slightly different way. But ultimately, forget about all that you know, cleverness and stuff that's behind the scenes. It's really funny and it's got some really good action in it. So it's a winner either way, really. <laughs> wow. Yep, straight on my list. And another interpretation that you, you can draw on it, and it wasn't until I actually was reading, doing my bit until I actually thought of this, is how people can't sort of comprehend the idea of 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 chance or or events out of the control. It's like why conspiracy theories are so popular. Mm. It's like when um, Princess Diana, for example, was killed in a uh, in, in the car crash. People couldn't accept that that was just a few random events coming together, like somebody a driver being drunk. People be chasing them with photography. That that sort of underpass just being, you know, there at that particular time and being hit. I think people come. People immediately started to think, oh well, the royal families had her killed. 
it's like that people can't cope with basically that sort of thing. So we have to like sort of come up with a, a narrative to explain that, which is what that young girl in the, in the film was trying to do herself. She was trying to find, she was basically trying to sort of make sense of the world and make it into a story that in the real world you can't do. You know, how, how many people have sort of like sort of avoided death because they were late for a train? Or how many people yeah. have, man- have been killed because they a train door was held open for them and they thought they were lucky for It's that sort of thing, you know, that, that sort of like intangible. I think people have a real sort of problem accepting that and dealing with it. That's a cool thing about a film like this is you can sit back and think about it and find so many meanings what the film's about, you know, in in it because it is such a such a wide and varied movie, and there's so much to think about in it. And, and none of us are probably wrong, and none of us are probably one hundred percent right. It's just how what we take from it. Well, I'm intrigued. It's like the perfect movie. This brilliant start, brilliant end. Yeah, excellent. Thank you, Darren. Okay, so that completes my dash for this uh, month. Out of this slot, I will be picking my uh, favourite, as uh, I always do. And the film that I'm going to go for, and it's been a really tough one because there's uh, two absolutely cracking movies on here that I I would like to call it a draw between The Pig and Rides of Justice. But I think Pig just had that element of um, surprise in there that it totally blew away my expectations. So my film of the month from my dash is Pig. Excellent. Thank you. So, gentlemen, I can safely announce that's a wrap, and Darren's dash at the flicks is in the can. Now, I've got to be honest, have you guys now resigned yourself to the fact I was right about Malignant and you were all wrong? Jeff, personal taste is subjective, and because of that, none of us can be wrong, including you, as much as it agrees me to say that. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) Anyway, moving on from that, I've got a bit of sad news for fans of the Dash uh, out there. And the fact is that I will be taking a little bit of time off over Christmas due to work commitments. So the next time my Dash comes back will be in February. And if you can't wait that long, it will be worth the wait because it will be bigger and even better. So I want to say thank you for listening. And it's goodbye from the Dash, but not from me because I will actually be back to review the shows just as regularly next month.